you are listening to the Sermon Audio Podcast from Heights Baptist Church in Alvin, Texas. For more information about our church, you can find us at heightschurch.org. My name is Lee. I'm the pastor here. If you're a guest with us, I want to say welcome to you. I want to thank you so much for your giving through the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. You know, our, our mission and heartbeat at Heights here is to love and to lead all people to a new life uh, in, with Christ. And if you think about how do we do that, if we say we want to lead all people, uh, how can we lead and help see people come to know Christ in Mongolia? off of the video you just saw. I mean, that, that would be hard for us to weekly do that over there, right? Uh, because we're here. And how do we do it there? Well, uh, part of that is through our partnerships. And that's why our partnerships are so important. And we partner with the Southern Baptist Convention uh, through the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. And, and your offering through that, uh, you see work of that developing out. And so let's, let's bow in a word of prayer this morning uh, as we get started. And uh, I just want us to pray Uh, Through Psalm 67 here. The psalmist says, My God, be gracious to us and bless us. Make His face shine upon us, that Your way may be known on the earth. Your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise You, O God. Let all the peoples praise You. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For You judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon the earth. Father God, Would you bless us, as the psalmist says, so that, Lord, in turn, we may be able to bless others, so that, Father, they may know that you are God, that you have created them, that you love them, that, Father, yes, like any one of us, they have sinned against you, but, Lord, you want to see them glad in you, and therefore you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross for every man, woman, and child here And so, Lord, we pray for our brothers and sisters in Mongolia uh, that are ministering the gospel. Uh, Even this very day, we pray that you will bless them. And, Father, we may pray that the nations will be glad in you, that more men, women, and child all throughout our world will come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior this, this season and this time, and they will praise you and worship you. And, Lord, I pray as a church that that is our passion Uh, to see just a picture of heaven, of every tongue, tribe, nation, and people praising you, O Lord, because you are a God worthy of praise. And so, Lord, as we continue to worship this morning through your word and later through giving, uh, Lord, I pray that you will bless us, that we may be blessings to others. And Father, we thank you for the way you already have done that and worked through these dear folks this holiday season and the Lottie Moon giving. I just am so thankful for them. And Lord, we pray you continue to use us to bring you glory in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, how's your Christmas going so far? Awesome. Okay, good. You know, maybe for some of you, you're like, yeah, it's going great. It's peaceful. It's restful. It's been fun. Or it's stressful tiring (laughs) hard right i think whatever your answer is we could all agree we need god to be with us right now right you know there's many of you that that are already out traveling some of you are going to be with family later this week sending extended family where you're really like "Uh uh-huh i need god to be with me because aunt such and such is coming or cousin this person's coming and oh yeah 
You know, and, and so that's the series we're in. It's called God with us. And what we've been doing is moving through the Christmas story in Matthew's gospel, just kind of through the first couple of chapters. And we say, you know, we have this God that's not a, a distant God. He's not standoffish. He's not just somebody that created us and then just letting us all figure it all out. Uh, but no, th- this God is, is with us. And so we, we said in the first week that we live in a world of broken promises but God always keeps his promise, right? So, so the promises in the Bible, uh, God has already kept. And then there's some that are still to come that he will keep, right? And so then last week, we said he's a providing God, that we have all kinds of different needs in life, and God meets those needs. Uh, but he also meets our deepest need, and our deepest need is we need a Savior. We need someone to save us from our sins. And that's what Matthew 1 uh, verse 18 says, is that Jesus, you know, he, the angel of the Lord said, you shall call his name Jesus, and he will save his people from their sins. So whoever calls out the name of Jesus and places their faith in Christ, they're saved from their sins, from the penalty of sin and the power of sin, and one day from the presence of sin. So this morning what I want you to do is take a Bible. If you've got an app on your phone or maybe a Bible in your hand, we'll have the words on the screen as well, is go to Matthew chapter 2. And in Matthew 2, we're going to talk this morning about God being a protecting God and how this protecting God is with us. And, you know, Paul says in Romans 8, 31, and we sang the song uh, earlier, you know, who can be against us, right? If God is for us, who can be against us? He is this God that protects. Do you believe that this morning? Do you believe that God's a protecting God in your life? This morning, you're going to see how God protected the wise men, how he protected Mary and Joseph, how he protected Jesus, and how he works in my life and your life protecting us. When you come into Matthew chapter 2, we see that now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the uh, king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. Verse 2 says, they were saying, where is he who was born the king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of all the people, he inquired of them where Christ was to be born. They told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for it is written by the prophet, verse 6, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel." Now, when you come into the first part of Matthew's uh, chapter here, uh, we see a couple of different interesting characters in the Christmas story. First, you meet Herod, the king. He is the king of the Jews at the moment. Herod was put into power by the Romans in 40 B.C. Now, Herod dies in 4 B.C. So we place the birth of Jesus somewhere between 6 and 4 B.C. All right, so some of you are thinking, wait a minute, he wasn't born on... December 25th? No. He wasn't born at 0 B.C.? No. He's going to be somewhere between 6 and 4 B.C. All right? If you have more questions about that, Pastor Matt will gladly answer them after the service. Okay? I'm just telling you what I've read all this week. But Herod is an awful guy. I mean, he is just a tyrant of a ruler. 
Um, he is worse than Emperor Palpatine. Okay, so slip in a Star Wars joke there for those of you that have seen Star Wars. All right. I mean, he, he is just a tyrant among tyrants. He has 10 different wives throughout his life, numerous sons, numerous family members that he had put to death throughout his reign. See, throughout his time, he went very paranoid, and he thought all his family was kind of against him. So he was killing off wives, he was killing off sons, he was killing off family members that he felt like may be a threat to him one day. Caesar Augustus, the emperor of Rome, once said this about Herod. He said, it is safer to be one of Herod's pigs than to be his son. I mean, so you think this is, this is the guy right now in control of the Jews. And then we meet a group called the wise men, right? And so uh, we've got Herod, but then you're also introduced to the wise men in verse 2. The wise men come on the scene, and you think, well, who are these guys, right? Well, these guys are folks who have come from the east, and they've traveled to the west. Uh, your translation may say magi, right? So they are astrologers. Uh, they're magicians, but not like pull a rabbit out of a hat magician, okay? Uh, they're magicians. They're um, very respected religious people in the courts of their country that they've come from. They have traveled. And notice why they traveled. Why, why did they come? Do you see that in verse 2? They ask Herod, where is he who has been born the king of the Jews? Now, do you think that upset Herod? I mean, just giving you the quick description of the guy, you think that rubbed him wrong? Yeah. To the point where verse 3 says, what about Herod? He was troubled. That word trouble means turmoil. He is upset. He is in turmoil. He is troubled because these wise men have come and said, we're here to see the king of the Jews. Who has this one been born the king of the Jews? Now, what's interesting about the wise men is some of you are going to think, well, how many of them are there, right? We always ask that question. How many wise men showed up? You know, sometimes tradition says three, right? Because of why? Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. We're going to get to that. But there are more than three, right? We think maybe 10, maybe 12. These guys probably had an entourage with them traveling along. Uh, And here's the other thing. I'm I'm going to just really blow your Christmas nativity scene out of the water. And I apologize But the wise men are not with the shepherds, okay? They come months, if not two years later, to show to see Jesus, all right? So they're not there at the birth of Christ like we got in the nativity scenes, months to two years later. So when you get home, if you got them with the shepherds, do this for me. Just move them to the other side of the mantle. Maybe just take them to a different room, right? Just put them in a different room. Just move them on away. If I come over to your house, I may do it later for you. It's okay. You can invite me in and I just might sneak off and I've been known to do that. But what's awesome about this is I think what verse 2 teaches us. When they show up, they say, where is he who's been born the king of the Jews? They've heard about this prophecy. They've heard the Old Testament prophecies. And you might think, well, how did they hear that? They're not from Jerusalem. They're from the Far East. Well, understand, when, when Israel was exiled out, back when the Babylonians came and exiled them, and, and they come back, the Jews returned, not all of them returned. A lot of them stayed where they were. 
So those eastern colonies of the Jews were still spreading the word of God where they were. They were still spreading those Old Testament prophecies to others about a Messiah to come, about a Jesus to come. And just like we saw in the video with the missionaries in Mongolia, that's my job, your job, their job, is we want to see the nations worship God. And right here in the Christmas story, you're you're seeing the nations come to worship Jesus. These wise men from far off have traveled to say, where is the king of the Jews? Now, the uh, Herod, after hearing what the wise men are there for, makes a plan. Let's pick up in verse 7. It says, Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent to them Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. Notice verse 10. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Verse 11 says, They went into the house... They saw the child with Mary, his mother. They fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream, they did not return to Herod. They departed to their own country by another way. And so Herod says, okay, I want you guys to find Jesus uh, because I too want to worship him. They find Christ and then God Uh, Because he's a protecting God, warns them, no, Herod's got other intentions. You guys need to get out of town. But what's interesting is what the wise men do. Do you notice verse 11 says, when they came into the house, they worshipped him. Word worship says they they bowed before them. You need to understand that worship is something you do. It's not something you show up for, right? So you didn't show up for worship today. You're here to worship, right? Worship is not done for you. It's something you do in life. Do you worship Jesus today? Do you, as we sang in that song, do you adore Christ in your life? Because here's the wise men and they're bowing before this baby. You know, in the ancient Near East culture of the day, When one would approach a dignitary, when one would approach a king, someone in authority, that's what they do. They would would bow. And think about this. This Jesus, born in obscurity, is now being worshipped as a king in royalty. And they offer him gifts. They offered him gifts, verse 11. What are they? Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Have you ever gotten something for Christmas? I was thinking about this when they, they brought gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Have you ever got something for Christmas that you opened and you thought, what am I going to do with this? Right? <laughs> yeah, you're kind of like, oh, thank you, you know? And you, you kind of put it in a pile where you're like, oh, all right, I don't know what I'm going to do with this, so I, I'm going to put it in the, um, in the re-gifting pile, right? <laughs> all right? Test of honesty in church. How many of us have re-gifted before? Okay. Wow. Some of you are saints. There's no, some hands didn't go up. Some were like, uh, yeah. Some were pointing to other people, right? Yeah. I, I want to make a proposition to you. Mary and Joseph, I believe, are the original re-gifters of Christmas. Okay, 
I think Mary and Joseph started it all. Because you're going to look and say, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Why in the world would Jesus need gold, frankincense, and myrrh? I mean, that's just not practical things, right? Well, God's going to warn Joseph in a dream. And in verses 13 through 16, he's going to say what? Get out of town. Herod's after you. Herod wants Jesus dead. I'm here to protect you. Pick up in verse 13 with me. It says, now when they departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, rise, take the child and his mother, flee to Egypt and remain there until, uh, until I tell you, for Herod's about to search for the child and destroy him. And he rose, took the child and his mother by night. They departed to Egypt and remained there until Herod, till the death of Herod. And that was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken out of the prophet. Out of Egypt, I called my son. Now, let me ask you this. You got more than likely two teenage parents, right? Newly married, got a baby. And overnight, you need to pack a bag and travel 429 miles on the road to somewhere else. How are you going to pay for that? How are they going to do it? Did you know what the common form of exchange in that day of time was? Do you know what travelers would exchange for currency in that time of day? Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Don't you think just maybe, just maybe along the way they needed to pay for some things? And God set it all up that the wise men brought gold, frankincense, and myrrh so Mary and Joseph could re-gift that off. They could sell it off to pay for this overnight and long trip down to Egypt all of a sudden. See, God's a protecting God. He protects us along the way, and he provides for us along the way. Just like he did for Christ, he'll do for us. Now, Herod heard that, and then Herod goes in a rage. And pick up in verse 16. Then Herod went and he saw that he'd been tricked by the wise men, became furious, and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and all the region who were two years old and under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. See, Herod viewed Jesus as a threat. Remember back up in verse 3, he was troubled in his spirit because this is the king of the Jews. Verse 4 tells us all of Israel was stirred up, and that means the scribes, the religious leaders that maybe had aligned themselves politically with Herod. You know, they don't want to make Herod mad. They're upset too because now this Jesus is going to challenge their authority in life. You understand this, when you come to Christ as your Savior, you come to Christ as your Lord and Savior. Right? Somebody will ask me every so often, they're like, you know, to, to be a Christian, do I have to know him as my Lord and Savior or just my Savior? Kind of look at him funny, I'm like, why wouldn't you want to know him as Lord? You've kind of done a bad job of being boss of your life, right? You need a new boss. And that's what it means to come to Christ as Lord and Savior, saying, Jesus, I need you to save me from my sin, but I need you to be my Lord. I need you to be my new boss. Because I'm kind of making a mess of myself being my own boss. I need somebody to be a better boss. And that's what it means. You come to Christ as Lord and Savior. He takes over the throne of your life. He comes in and you say, I'm submitting myself to you to follow you. You're my king. You're my Lord. You're my boss. Herod says, no, 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 no. I don't want any of that. I want to be my own Lord. I want to be my own boss. I want to be my own king. And so he goes and he says, you know what? I'm going to wipe out. The male children, two years and, and younger, from Bethlehem. And, and just maybe I'll kill this baby Jesus along the way. 
You know what's interesting about this, and, and as you go through the Christmas story, you'll, you'll come time talk to folks about this, and, and they may push back on this part uh, because they'll say, well, wait a minute. In ancient history, all our historical documents we have from the time, it, it doesn't mention this. You know, writers like Josephus, ancient Jewish historians, they don't, they don't write about what Herod did. And so sometimes folks will go, wait a minute, we don't know if we can trust the Bible, we don't know if we can believe the Bible in that, because even ancient history doesn't speak of verses 16 through 18, so is it really true? Well, let me give you kind of a couple of counter-arguments. If you've heard that along the way, you maybe read that, run into somebody on that. First, understand Bethlehem is a small town at this point, right? Bethlehem's maybe about 1,000 people at the day. Scholars and historians do believe uh, that when this took place, uh, based on the age and the males of, you know, two years and younger, maybe 10 uh, young, you know, boys lost their life in this, no more than 20, all right? And I'm not saying that to say only 10. I'm saying, no, that's, one is too many, right? I mean, one's too many in this instance, but you're talking maybe 10, maybe 20. You know, so if you think about writers of the day, they're writing mainly on major historical battles, major wars, major things that are going on in Rome, major things that are happening in Jerusalem. So they would have just bypassed this. They would have kind of skipped over this. But what we need to see is Herod's reaction really lines up with Herod's character. I want you to listen to Stuart Weber, his commentary on Matthew when talking about these verses and Herod's character. He said this, he said, consider the arrogance of Herod. He was observant enough to recognize the truth of the Old Testament prophecy about God's plan, but arrogant enough to think he could stop it. No created being, not even Satan, can stop the plan of God. In this situation, God the Father intervened to protect the Son to preserve salvation. See, God is a protecting God. There was a lady by the name of Corey Timboom. Uh, Corey Timboom and her family, they were in Amsterdam and they were strong Christians. They were very, you know, strong believers in Jesus Christ. When World War II broke out, they began hiding Jews in their home and in her father's watchmaker shop. Uh, they built a little closet in her home that was called the hiding place. And they were hiding Jews throughout the war from the Nazis. 1944, Corey Tinboom and her family are picked up by the Nazis. They're found out. Her father dies in prison. Her, her sister dies in the concentration camp Corey was in, but Corey survived the camp. She was uh, released. Corey Tinboom went on to write The Hiding Place. If you've never read it, it's a great book. Uh, she went on to be a speaker and evangelist. But Corey Tinboom is, is credited with this phrase The safest place to be is in the center. Of God's will. You ever heard that? The safest place to be is in the center of God's will. Now, what we've done in American Christianity is we've taken that phrase, the safest place to be in the center of God's will, and we've twisted it. Because, see, a lot of times in our American Christianity, we'll think, well, if I'm doing what God wants me to do, and I'm where God wants me to be, everything will be easy, everything will be fine. I'll be okay because I'm where God wants me to be and I'm doing what God wants me to do and I won't have any problems, right? Think about it this way. 
is Mary and Joseph in the center of God's will? Yes or no? Yes. Are they safe right now? Well, they're on their way to Egypt running from Herod, right? (laughs) How about we say it this way? The safest, most dangerous place to be is in the center of God's will. Because for Mary and Joseph, it's physically dangerous for them right now. They're on the run. They're getting away from Herod. But who's protecting them all along the way? God. So when you think about being where God wants you to be, doing what God wants you to do, that doesn't mean you won't get cancer. That doesn't mean you won't lose a job. That doesn't mean you won't have economic hardship. That doesn't mean you won't battle things in your life. That doesn't mean things won't be hard. But what it means is God will protect you. God will provide for you in what you need. And so here, I need you to do two things for me this morning. Number one, I need you to believe God is in control. In your life, believe God is in control of it. Think about everything we just read. He controlled the stars to show the wise men where to go. He controlled the dreams of the wise men, the dreams of Joseph through all this. See, life at times I know seems out of control, and you think, what's going on? How's this going to work out? Is God going to show up? What's he going to do? And all along the way, God's in control. I'm going to give you a phrase, and you can write it down if you'd like to. It's real simple to remember and to know. If I have a small God, I have big problems. If I have a big God, I have small problems. Yeah, I'll say it again. If I have a small God, big problems. <laughs> if I have a big God, small problems. This Christmas season, remember, God is in control. Right? So I need you to believe that. That's the first thing I need you to do. Believe God's in control. Second thing I need you to do is trust in God's protection. Trust in God's protection. You can be in the center of God's will and things are still going to be hard at times. Be in the center of God's will, and things still may be dangerous at times. But what God is going to always do is protect the most valuable part of you. What's the most valuable part of you? It's your soul. And you give him your soul. You give him your life. There's nothing that will take away that love that God has for you in Christ Jesus. There's nothing that will take away your soul that you've given over to, over to Christ. I love what Paul says in Romans 8, 38. He says, For I'm sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. You give him your life. Nothing will ever take away that salvation. Nothing will ever take away that soul. That God will protect you. God will provide for you along the way. I I love this quote by John Piper, and I'm going to leave it just with this. John Piper says it this way. He said, in reality, God is doing 10,000 things that we may not see. And all along the while, while he's doing 10,000 things we don't see, we may just see three of those. Right now, you may see God do a few things in your life when in reality, he's doing way more 
to protect you and to provide for you that you and I can ever see. God is a protecting God. I want to invite you just to bow your heads right where you are. I invite you to just get into a spirit of prayer, ready to respond to God. I, I was reading Psalm 80 this morning, and I love what Psalm 80 verse 7 said. It said, Lord, shine your face upon us. Lord, restore us. Maybe today it's a prayer of restoration, revival you need. But in a moment, after I pray, we're going to have a time where we're going to sing, and I'm going to invite you to come and and you come and pray whatever's on your heart that the uh, Lord maybe just have laid on this message uh, that you've heard or, or something you walked in with. There's going to be folks down front that can pray for you or and you can pray by yourself. I'm going to invite you during that time as well while we sing. If you need to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you come. Don't wait another day. Don't wait another time. This is Christ who came to take away your sin. This is more than a baby in a manger. This is a king that died on the cross, rose from the grave, has the power to forgive and to take away sin. This is a Jesus that wants to be the Lord and Savior of your life. You're going to find no better Lord, no better king, no better boss in your life than Jesus. You come in a moment. Ask him to come into your life and your heart. Father God, we have sang this morning songs about you, songs to you. Lord, we have confessed who you are this holiday season. Lord, we've heard your word and and we've come and seen today that not only are you a God that keeps your promises, you're a God that provides, you're a God that protects. And Lord, I pray today, I know the holidays can be very hard at times for folks. There are some right now that were without jobs, wondering what's next in the new year. Some battling anxiety or depression or Sickness, sadness, whatever it is. Strained family relationships. Father, I pray this holiday season right now that we believe that you're in control. We trust in your, your protection and your provision in our lives. And so, Lord, I pray as we sing in a moment again that what you've put on our hearts to pray, folks will pray at their seat, folks will pray down front, however they're comfortable, wherever they're comfortable praying, they'll go to you right now and just talk to you about what's going on. Lord, thank you for being a God that hears us, a God that answers our prayers in the time and a way that you see perfect and the way that you see fit. Thank you, God, for loving us, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Sermon Audio Podcast from Heights Baptist Church in Alvin, Texas. On Sunday mornings, we have life groups for all ages at 9 a.m., followed by worship service at 10.30 a.m. For more information about how to support the ministry of Heights Baptist Church, go to heightschurch.org slash give.